This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. In our Sidran of Shiurim, when the literature, responsa literature of the 20th century, last week we discussed the first chief rabbi <coughs> of modern Israel, Rav Kook, and his uh, numbers, a number of his tshuvas. Today we are going to continue with the Rav who took his place, the person who became the second chief rabbi of modern Israel, and actually the first chief rabbi of the state of Israel. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog. Rav Herzog was born in Europe in 1888. His father was also known as a great Tamit Chacham. In fact, we have some literature written by him, some Torah liter- literature written by him, and it seems that he personally educated the young Isaac Halevi Herzog. Rav Herzog Jr. did not study in yeshiva. One of the great gedolim of the 20th century who did not study in a yeshiva but was brought up by his local rabbinate, whether it be in his own home or in the local community in the shul and the rav of the shul. But it seems that Rav Herzog himself was very autodidactic. He studied many fields and became proficient in many, many different areas. He received smicha from the Ridvaz of Tzvat, but he also received secular degrees. He received a doctorate in literature for his work in marine biology. He wrote about Tcheles and how do you find the right species and what it means in terms of the marine biology that Chazal understood. He was also known as a great linguist, a jurist, mathematician, and natural sciences. As a young man, he became the rabbi of Belfast and became eventually the chief rabbi of Ireland. He took that position before he became married, but he did, in the while he was there, was married to the daughter of Rav Hillman, who also was known as a great Hamid Chacham. In fact, a whole series of his Sfarim were printed with notes and comments in the in them by Rav Herzog, by his other members of the family, a set, a, a set of Sfarim called Or HaYashar. It was recently, recently, a number, a few decades ago, reprinted by members of his family, by members of the Herzog family. When Rav Herzog was, when Rav Kook was Nifter in 1935, Rav Herzog was chosen to become the chief rabbi in his place. He moved to Israel, became the chief rabbi, but of course, because of the times, he became very much involved in saving Jews all over the world. He made a number of trips all around the world, working to rescue Jews. 
One of the famous stories about Rav Herzog is that he was in, in America at a time when Rommel, the German general, was at the foot of Eretz Israel, threatening to come in with his entire mass of tanks and the Yishuv was threatened and was terribly scared. Rav Herzog insisted that he come back to, to Eretz Israel to be with the community. When he was told that the road is very dangerous, it's fraught with danger, the only way to come was by boat, and there were mines all over the ocean, Rav Herzog insisted that he come back to encourage the people, to strengthen them, to give them chizuk. It's famous that he gave a public speech in which he guaranteed the safety of the Yishuv of Eretz Yisrael and the famous line that he said, Churban Shlishi Lo Yiyeh, there will never be a third destruction, was famous. I heard an account of this personally from a person who was there, an Irish Jew, who remembered the scene very well. Rav Herzog's published literature began with a, an understanding of Jewish law, and it was a book that he wrote in English. The main institutions of Jewish law. Until today, this book is considered a classic. The Tshuvas of Rav, of Rav Herzog obviously reflected many issues of the time and were collected in various editions. Originally, in 1960, the first volume of Tshuvas that I'm aware of was printed by Rav Herzog's children, Yaakov Herzog, Chaim Herzog, who, of course, themselves are well famous as the ambassador to Canada, as the president of Israel, respectively. That volume of Tshuvas was actually worked on by Rav Herzog, but he died in 1959, just before the first volume appeared. And later on, a number of years later, a second volume of Chuvas on Evan Ezer appeared. Later on, a volume of Chuvas called Hecha Yitzchak appeared in On Arachaim. Later on, I think work is still being, is still going on through a committee to publish the works of Rav Herzog has been going on and many volumes have been printed of Chuvas in all kinds of different areas. One of the interesting svarim that was printed also originally, perhaps before the Chuvas, but uh, I'm not sure the exact date, but a Chuva, a sefer of, of, of uh, Rav Herzog that was printed was a sefer on Masechah Sanhedrin. It's entitled Shiurim Amasecha Sanhedrin. The Sefer Torah Ha'ohel was printed, and when one sees the title Torah Ha'ohel Shiurim on Sanhedrin, one would look and see, well, how many Shiurim are there, and what are the topics of the Shiurim? When you read, when you look through it, you see to your astonishment that there's only one one, one Shiur. It's a Shiur that goes from one topic to another. Each topic is elaborated, and then some sort of a side topic comes up and that topic is discussed. So the entire Sefer is actually only one shear. Of course, that makes it a little bit unwieldy, although we certainly see from it and appreciate the godless of Rav Herzog. But nevertheless, you do not see 
exactly how to use such a sefer. Recently, work has been done on the Torah Sa'el by the committee that works on the Svarim of Rav Herzog, and they printed the Torah Sa'el in what we would call today a more user-friendly format, broken into into chapters, broken into topics with with bibliog uh, with um, a, an index, etc. So. Rav Herzog's fame as a Lamdin is certainly well known. A, an interesting story that I heard also personally from the person involved was that when Rav Herzog came to Eretz Yisrael and he was invited to give a shir in Merkaz Harav, so at that time there were a number of very, very great students in Merkaz Harav and when guests came, it was known that they sometimes gave these guests a rather hard time. Uh, noted among them was Rav Gershuni, Rav Yudel Grodner, who told me himself this particular story. <clears throat> In one of the books about Rav Herzog, and a bi- biography of Rav Herzog, the story is told, but I heard it personally from Rav Gershuni a little bit differently than the <coughs> story is printed. But when Rav Herzog came, so Rav Gershuni was known as one of the people that really, really used to ask many, many questions in, bet- in between and argue very much with the person who's giving the shir. And this year, Rav Gershuni was absolutely quiet, did not say a word. People at first thought that uh, this shows how great Rav Herzog was that Rav Gershuni had found nothing to comment upon. Rav Gershuni himself told me that before the shiur, Rav Kook had called him in. And Rav Kook said to him that, you know, when Eretz Yisrael, all the Magide shiur come and give a shiur, so they're used to the discussion in the shiur, the battle in the shiur, the arguments. They're used to it and it's fine. But Rav Herzog is a British gentleman and he would not be used to such an approach. And therefore, Rav Kook personally asked Rav Gershuni not to speak up during the shear. Nevertheless, Rav Gershuni said, but it was a really good shear, and he knows, really, really knows well how to learn. But it's true that he kept quiet because of the covet of Rav Kook, Rav, who asked him to be, to remain silent. But nevertheless, he really, really felt that the shear was a, a top shear. Rav Herzog's uh, fame in Lumdis was well known. He also had an interesting uh, concept that he had a chug lepilpul ha-Torah. He had a group of people who were the gedolim of Yerushalayim who used to come to his house once a week on Friday and spend time discussing chidushay Torah. My father was once uh, present at one of these uh, chugim and he was a little shocked because he didn't know exactly what he was getting into, and he saw Gedola Yerushalayim sitting there discussing Torah with Rav Herzog. I'd like to just mention two or three tshuvas of Rav Herzog, uh, again, related specifically to the times, and to show uh, the interesting issues that were raised at the time. One of the tshuvas, a rather short tshuva, and in one respect a fairly simple approach, would be a tshuva printed in Hechel Yitzchak, written in 1951. Let's remember that's three years after establishment of the State of Israel. Rav Herzog 
was asked, how do you write the name Tel Aviv in a get? The official name of Tel Aviv was Tel Aviv Yafo. People called it Tel Aviv. We should also remember that Yafo was originally a big city in Eretz Israel. Rav Kook, when he first came to Israel, was the chief rabbi of Yafo. Later on, Dizengoff built the city of Tel Aviv and became the major city, and Yafo became somewhat adjunct to Tel Aviv, and it became Tel Aviv, Yafo. But yet, people call it Tel Aviv. So should you write Tel Aviv Yafo de Miskaria Tel Aviv? Should you write the name of the city is Tel Aviv Yafo, but it is called Tel Aviv? Or should you write it Tel Aviv de Miskaria Tel Aviv Yafo? Now, what's interesting is the question was addressed to Rav Herzog by the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv at the time, Rav Isser Yehuda Unterman, who later on took the place of Rav Herzog as the chief rabbi of Israel. Rav Herzog, discussing this question, pointed out that the name of the city really was known as Tel Aviv, but nevertheless, we should write Tel Aviv Yafo because it's similar to the name that's added to a person when he is sick. And that name becomes somehow the essence of the name. And then Rav, Kook mentioned, Rav Herzog mentions a phrase that I really like to point out. In 1951, Rav Herzog wrote, This order that was given by the kingdom of Israel, Malchus Israel, it also has important political ramifications. And our malchut, our, our kingdom, is very insistent upon this. Therefore, he said, really, you should call it Tel Aviv Yafo, the Miskaria Tel Aviv. But another interesting point that he made is he quoted a Gemara in Erechen. The Gemara says, when you want to establish certain facts on the ground, so you have to leave a certain amount of time for them to become publicized. The Mishnah there in Erechen and the Gemara discusses the possibility of 30 days, 60 days, perhaps for different things, different times. And here, the question would be, how long do you have to wait in order to have this edict somehow well known and go into effect, as it were, halachically? Rav Herzog raised the possibility that perhaps we should really wait that amount of time in order to make sure it's known publicly. And for that period of time, perhaps we should not arrange any gitn in Tel Aviv. But then, also an interesting historical point, Rav Herzog's right, how could we do this? Because Tel Aviv today is uh, has a population of Reva Milyon Mi Yisrael, a quarter of a million Jews live in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Now, of course, today when we change, when we discuss the census factors of today, we realize that in 1951, there were a quarter of a million Jews living in Tel Aviv. It's a, an interesting fact. Rav Herzog said you can't uh, expect a city of a quarter million Jews not to have Gitten for 60 days. So Rav Herzog said, therefore, he would permit abolishing the concept of 30 or 60 days. But what he recommended is that for three days, 
They insist that the radio publicize the fact that Tel Aviv is now called Tel Aviv Yafo, do so for three spe- successive days on the radio, and then Rav Herzog says, you see, because the three days of publicizing in the radio would be equivalent to the 30 days in the time of the Gemara. And in those three days, he suggested not arranging Gitten. But after those three days, he said, that's enough Pirsum, that would be enough publicizing the fact, because three days today are like 30 days in the time of the Gemara. One would only conjecture with modern communication, the instant uh, notification all over the world, what would be the concept of Hachraza. Another question that, of course, is specifically related to the historical events of that time is a long and detailed tshuva written to Rav Goren. Interestingly enough, Rav Goren then is going to replace Rav Unterman, who was replaced Rav Herzog. So we're dealing with tshuvas written and discussed by the chief rabbi, the chief rabbis of Israel, Rav Herzog to Rav Unterman, Rav Herzog to Rav Goren. And the historical background for this tshuva is printed itself in the Sefer Hechal Yitzchak. The tshuva relates to the tragic story of the defenders of Kfar Etzion who died al Kiddush Hashem in the War of Independence and they actually died just before the State of Israel was announced. I remember seeing the New York Times headline on the day that Israel was declared the State of Israel, the main headline of the New York Times was that the State of Israel was established, the Arabs attacked. Further down on the page, there's another article on the front page of the New York Times of that day that Kfar Etzion, the Yishuv of Gush Etzion, fell. Now, on that day, the there was a massacre of the Jews who remained in Kfar Etzion. The obvious issue and question that we'll have to discuss is we have no we had no proof of the death of the people that lived in Kvaratzion at that time. We knew who was there and their wives who were taken to other cities, to other places of relative safety needed to find out if they were to be considered agunot, or could we find a heter to declare them as almanot, as widows. The facts in the case were determined by Rav Goren. Rav Goren at that time was the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, and he received permission from the Arab legion after a while to go to Kfar Etzion, to try to find out the facts as much as he could. And what they did find out was there were three people left alive. And this is according to the historical version printed in the volume of the Chuvas of Rav Herzog, Hecha Yitzchak. One of them was a young lady who was in charge of communication. She was taken prisoner. 
she said that the the Arabs took her to show her that all the Jews were killed, and they told her so. She herself was sure that nobody was left alive. She saw many bodies, and as she was there, the officer, the Arab officer, shot into the bodies to ensure that no one was left alive. He also threw a grenade into the building that was called the Minzara Germani. He thought maybe somebody would be hiding there, and therefore he threw this grenade. This lady was sure that there was no uh, there was no possibility of escape. In fact, there were Arab legionnaires who surrounded the Kfar, and they were just so bitter, wanted to kill everyone. There was very it was very unlikely that somebody could get through them. Then the officer told her, without being asked, without being questioned, the Arab officer told her that nobody was left alive except for her and two fellows who were taken into prisoners, into captivity. The two fellows also told this a similar story. They explained how they were miraculously saved and taken into captivity. And the officers all told them that no one was left alive. Rav Goren then wrote a tshuva and dealt firstly with the issue, do you have to know any testimony of the people or is it simply enough to say that in the time of war, in such a time of war, nobody came back alive. Rav Herzog points out some salient points to add to this, but the issues dealt with questions that have occurred throughout the centuries, unfortunately, but they relate to the fact that in the time of David HaMelech, the Gemara says that they instituted a divorce, a get, to be given altnai, a get to be given with stipulations, because they were afraid that people would not come back from war, their wives would be agunot, in order to preclude that tragedy, they instituted the fact that they would write a get on t'nai, if they, the exact wording of the t'nai, I will not go into right now. From that story in the Gemara, it's obvious that if they did not come back and had no get, we would have no proof that they died. Even though it was wartime, and they did not come back, they instituted the fact they should have a get. Otherwise, it would seem fairly obvious that we do not presume them dead. Another discussion that would be raised would be from the case where a person drowned in what's called Mayim She'en Lamsof. We would call it an ocean where no apparent person can be saved from drowning in, in such a situation. Again, we'll find that there is a, an entire discussion of such a Gemara, but nevertheless, it does not seem enough to declare their people as definitely dead, 
there's a rove, there are all kinds of uh, issues, but nevertheless, we're dealing with a very severe case of Eishasish. It's not enough to be making. Another Gemara that would have to be discussed is a city that was conquered by non-Jews. And there is a famous Yerushalmi to be discussed in that context. And again, Rav Goren discussed it, sent it to Rav Herzog. What Rav Herzog ans- added to it was a another point seemingly not raised in Rav Goren's tshuva, that perhaps there is a difference between wartime or drowning or even a city that was conquered by non-Jews to a situation where the entire purpose, the entire goal of the of the non-Jews is to kill and destroy every single living person. In wartime, of course there are casualties, but you don't assume, at least I think we should not assume, that the purpose of war is to kill every single living person. Here, the purpose was clear that they wanted to leave no survivor. Everyone should be killed. In such a case, perhaps we could add another reason to be mekil on that tshuva, on that, in that particular issue. Of course, there is a Gemara in Yuvamis, Kuftes Vavamadalif, where the Gemara says that if non-Jews or bandits fell upon the community, there's an entire discussion what statements would be believed under such circumstances. But you see from here that the only question is what statements could be used to uh, permit the women to remarry. But it wasn't enough that they just came to kill everyone. So Rav Herzog answered this question by saying an interesting interpretation of the Gemara that who told you that their purpose was to kill everybody? Naflu nachim so he said, in the case of Nachim, it meant to loot, to plunder. And in Naflu Listim, it could very well be that they came to steal. That's the normal meaning of the words Listim. So therefore, it's another, what we call a sniff lakel, another addition to be Mekil would be the fact that in this particular case, the Arabs came to kill every single person. Then, after we've discussed what would be the situation if no one had testified, no one had said anything, we would have to discuss the testimony of the Kasharit, that lady who was in charge of communication, and the two soldiers, the two uh, people, men who were taken into captivity, and then we would have to discuss also the what it means that the person, the Arab uh, officer, had uh, said a statement to the effect that they were all were killed. Now, normally we would have a case of uh, Nochri, a non-Jew, and we call it Masiach Lefitumo, telling his, uh, in casual conversation, what is the credence that we give to such a statement. Now, Herzog added a point here. He said that the officer in charge is interested in his own reputation. 
he wanted to maintain his dignity in front of these three prisoners. So if he would have been found wrong, it would have questioned his credibility, would have questioned his standing, would have questioned his reputation. Therefore, Rav Herzog felt there is more of a reason, another sniff, Lakel, another reason to be added to all the above reasons together to say that we can be Mekel, and Rav Herzog himself was inclined to be Mekel on this particular issue. And therefore, he agreed with Rav Goren's kuntris, and he said you can be Mekel. But at the very end of the tshuva, we see another perspective side of the personality of Rav Herzog. Besides his great Torah erudition, he was known as a very modest person. And here he wrote that although this kuntras had been sent to him by the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, Rav Gorin, and he was sent to him as the chief rabbi of the state of Israel to approve, he said, I think that this woman is lechatchila, these women are allowed to get married. However, because it is such a very delicate issue, after all, we're talking about ish, married women, I would like to bring this before three other great geonim of our generation. And he mentioned who they were. One, the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, another Rav Shlomo David Kahana, who at one time was the chief rabbi of Varsha, he was also known for writing very important shuvos about heter agunos, about allowing such cases to remarry. And the third was Rav Meshulam Roth. Rav Meshulam Roth was known as a great godol in Europe. He moved to Eretz Yisrael and became one of the rabbis known in Haifa, as an outstanding Tamid Chacham, we have chuvas from him, Kol Mevaser, is part of the chief rabbinate. Rav Herzog was, at, was, told, was told that they should send this entire literature to these three rabbis, and then he emphasized that these three rabbis need not write detailed issues. We, they, they were taken care of. Rav Goren's chuva, Rav Herzog's chuva is also a long chuva about it. And he said, all I want them to do is to their, to tell me their opinion briefly. If two out of the three will, will agree, so I'm going to say clearly it's mutter. And these wives are mutter. So today we've discussed two of the interesting chuvas, of course, which relate to that time. One, the rebirth of the state of Israel to see what the name of Tel Aviv and how Tel Aviv grew. And the second, we saw the famous historical incident of Kfar Etzion and the Koach Hatera, the strength of Gedolim who would be Matir, the wives of these Karbanos who fell al Kiddush Hashem.